Jay Schultz here on WHIW 101.3 FM. It's time for Cinema Talk in studio. I have Michelle Phelan. Hi, Michelle. Hello. And on the phone from Chicago, Illinois, Bruce Al. Bruce, how are you, my friend? I'm loving Chicago. I'm overlooking the lake right now. It's wonderful. You can walk over and just watch the lake? I can. Oh, man. Uh, well, I can look from my window. Yes. And then about four minutes away, as I did, uh, I do on a daily basis, I go to the lake. Isn't that wonderful? That's a good walk. That's a very nice walk. Very nice. Yeah. Now, when I lived in Evanston, we used to walk uh, up to uh, Northwestern. And that's oh, yeah. right on the lakefront. It's just a beautiful campus, and uh, yes, so is. I am extremely jealous of you. That's a that's a good life, my friend. Absolutely, well, come yeah. You don't have to be jealous. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, hey guys, how's everyone? Everyone's doing well. Oh yeah. Well. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, before we get into our main topic today, I just wanted to briefly jump into uh, the Oscars. The Oscars uh, are this coming weekend. Um, you know. Michelle or Bruce, you guys have any thoughts on the Oscars at this point? I just wanted to say I think it's very fascinating. That it, it, maybe it's my perception, but I think crowd pleasers or what we used to call popcorn movies are kind of creeping into Oscar. We know the glaring yes. one I'm, I'm referencing, uh, as in Maverick. Yeah. You guys want to just touch on that, Michelle, Jay? Well, I think it's a good thing because, you know, these are massively popular films. Like, I don't know anybody who didn't like Top Gun Maverick. I think that the popular uh, voice should be represented within the Academy Award Best Picture selections. I I think so, for sure. I mean, and, and they're fairly high quality films in their own way. I mean, in their own way. I mean, sure. Avatar, I mean, technically is brilliant, for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I think this is a product of when they expanded the Oscars to yes. the best picture, like ten films. To ten, yeah, from no, five. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, don't have, I mean, I don't, I don't personally think there's either any way that Avatar or Top Gun will win. Oh no, 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 uh, no, no. But it's, it's <laughs> nice that they get that recognition. Exactly. I, 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 I yeah. have no problem. Top, yeah. Top Gun, you know, I don't know. Who, there's one movie star, maybe one director who said, "Hey." Top Gun Maverick saved the film industry last year. I mean, it, you know. It, yeah, it, yeah. It was, I heard that somebody yes. say that, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and I don't disagree with that. I mean, I mean that movie ended up making $1.3 billion or one point four. I mean, yeah. Cruise's highest grossing movie of all time, you know. And that was a movie that was I like. I heard, yeah. real quickly, guys, yeah. a really bizarre factoid. I was just surfing around on the internet last night, and you want to hear something bizarre. So, as you just mentioned, Maverick, yes, uh, maybe indeed single handedly. But do you know what film for one week knocked it out at number one? Actually, I don't. <laughs> so, what? I'm curious. <laughs> the Great Terrifier 2. No yes. Terrifier 2. <laughs> Yes, I'm so happy to hear that. I love the Terrifier movies. They're so bad. They're amazing. That's oh, awesome. Right. Anyway, but I heard I, I had to throw that in there. Thank you for like, sharing that, Bruce. Wow. That just made my day. Oh, hey, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. Well, I'll tell you, um, my you know, really what I'm looking forward to is I am hoping that Everything, everywhere, all at once, mm-hmm. absolutely dominates. Yes, that is such. You know, yeah, it's a movie I actually went and saw by myself. I, I couldn't get my son to go. It is a fantastic film. It's such a great story too. Michelle Yeoh, mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis, who is just a goddess. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. Have you seen the film of her talking at the SAG Award about you know yes. growing up and she had a 
you know, she was hired, uh, it, what she called a nepo role because, yeah. you know, her dad got her a job on Petticoat Junction and she yeah. was fired off of Petticoat Junction, which led to her being hired for ding, Halloween, ding, ding. for Halloween, yeah. John Carpenter. And never then, and then she becomes like the scream queen after that, you know, yes. trading places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she's never been really recognized. And she wins the SAG Award for yes. her you know, best supporting role. Who She's just wonderful, that movie. Ki Hu Kwan, who was short round in mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and was, um, uh, I can't remember his name, in Goonies. Mm-hmm. But he, he disappeared from Hollywood, couldn't get a job in yeah. Hollywood. And these guys hired him. And now he's like, it's a, great it's story. a ter- tremendous story. And he, underdog. Yeah, yeah yes, it's a yes. tremendous underdog story. And he's just so, just the glowing with you know just so happy that he was you know able to share his talent again and uh mm-hmm. there's he was actually I, I did not know this but he was an encino man mm-hmm. with brendan frazier and they actually you know met up at one of the awards and they gave each other big hugs and and there's another person brendan frazier the mm-hmm. whale brendan frazier who yes. who was part of the me too moment you know, when he talked about being mm-hmm. assaulted you know essentially assaulted horrible yeah. horrible horrible i mean no one you know just horrible um, yeah. and, and how he's, you know, found his career again. It's just wonderful well, to see think, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm tempted to, to use the word redemption. Yeah, and Hollywood sure. does once in a while. Um, thank God, I wish it were more often. But, yeah. yes, it does offer redemption, like you mentioned, short round, or even, you know, the, the challenges that Jamie Lee had to go through. And yeah. especially Brendan Fraser. And yeah. to look at sort of like a renewal or redemption in their careers, it does make yeah. you smile. <laughs> yeah. I like how you put that, Bruce. I just like to piggyback off of what you guys are saying. And also what Mike Schindler had mentioned a few weeks ago on the weekly movie update is how we have these actors who have really just been doing great work for so many years yeah. and finally or are having big comebacks like yeah. Kehu Kwan. And I'm um, sorry, I'm not going to call you short round. I finally learned your name, dude. I'm not going to call you short round anymore. <laughs> and uh, and Brendan Fraser. And, um, you know, and they're having these great comebacks and we have these wonderful actors like Angela Bassett, Jamie Lee Curtis. Michelle Yeoh, who have yeah. been phenomenal for years and yeah. really haven't gotten the recognition that they deserve. Not not that they deserve, I think, in my opinion. Was so it, I would, you know. Wasn't Michelle Yeoh in Crouching Tiger, Hidden yes, Dragon? Yes, which was, I loved so much when I was in high school. That, that was one right. of my great introductions yeah. to, like, world cinema. How is, it, is this, like, her first it. nomination? This I, cannot I, be right. It, I, mean, I think it may be or one. I know I, it's sad that I don't. She's I didn't so look that good. Up. But, mean, the, she, but that's what yeah. I'm saying here. We have these. So I'm really rooting for Michelle Yeoh, Brendan Fraser, Kaylee Kwan, and yeah. either Angela Bassett or, or Jamie. I love my Jamie Lee. I love my girl. Yeah. 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 So, oh, yeah. but either one I'd be happy with. Yeah. Both deserving. Angela yeah. Bassett was wonderful yeah. in, in Black Black Panther. So, yeah. go ahead, Bruce. What? I was just going to point out about Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. It just turns out she's a terrific advocate for yes. like a multitude of different mm-hmm. causes. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And she just stands up for what is right. Again, yeah. that's corny, but hey, I wish there was more of that in Hollywood. I wish there was more of that in the world. So, yeah. So well, she was, there, there was a few years back where she was talk, about, talking about body shaming. I mean, she's like, yes. I am a 50 year old woman. This is what happens to your body. Yeah. This is what you happens know? to your good body. For her. Yes, this isn't trading places anymore yeah. or Halloween right. or anything. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, when she was younger, but yeah, she yeah. was rocking it. You know, yeah. I mean, she was a beautiful yeah, was, woman. And she still is she a beautiful still is. woman. Yeah. yeah. And she's, she's very intelligent and she was, I mean, stunning at the, at the, at the uh, SAG Awards. I mean, just, you know, she's just an incredible speaker, very in control of yes. the moment. Yes. And she, yes. yeah, she, yeah, she's very cool. And, and talk about cool parents too, Janet Lee and Tony Curtis. Holy cow. You know, 
Yeah. Well, let's not overlook her husband, Christopher. Yeah, Christopher Guest. Yeah, Christopher he gave us a lot of great now. entertainment over the uh, years. Yeah, pretty cool people to surround yourself with. Yeah. Your parents, your husband, your spouse. So yeah. you gotta wonder. You, I, I would love to ask her. Does your husband walk around quoting "This is Spinal Tap" in the house? <laughs> <laughs> These and go to eleven. Like awesome. He points at the fridge and goes, "This goes to 11. You yeah. know, I mean, I hope so. Well, That'd be awesome. Let's let's not forget Christopher Guest is really good in a few uh, yeah. in a few good men as yeah. as the the surgeon. He's just a very yeah. you know, him and Michael Keane are very good performers. He was in Princess Bride. He was in Princess yeah. Bride. Yes, he was. He a very good part of. Was he in Was he in those movies, Mighty Wind? And he directed them, right? Yeah. Mighty Wind, Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman. Yeah, I love those movies. Best in Show. That's all the brainchild of Christopher Guest. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Very, very cool. Well, you know what? I, because we, we could go on and on and on and on yes, and on and could. on. So I don't want to go on and on and on and on and on. I want to start our segment. So let me lead us in. Hold on. All right. And that means we are ready to start our actual Cinema Talk segment. And this week or this month, we are talking about our favorite film composers who are not John Williams. Yes, yes. Let's make that clear. Yeah. Right. We, could, we, we could devote like a week of shows to John Williams if we wanted to. I mean, and yeah. real, uh, real quickly, guys. Yeah. Like right on that subject, right off the bat, I was talking to my friend in New England on Sunday. He's like, so what are you guys doing for Cinema Talk? And I said, well, we're doing film composer he goes let me guess it's all john williams like nope we were way ahead of you (laughs) intentionally taking him off the you know that's a whole story for another day anyway sorry guys no we we will we will absolutely have to do a john williams segment here sometime Mm -hmm. this year oh yeah so without question but so we each picked our favorite composers yeah. other than John Williams. Other than John Williams. And uh, we're going to talk about them. So Michelle's going to lead us off with her choice. Okay, so the first composer we'll be discussing is Hans Zimmer. So he was born on September 12th, 1957 in Frankfurt, what was then West Germany. <laughs> Don't think I have to clarify that, right. but I will anyway. <laughs> um, he took piano lessons as a child, but wasn't great with formal music training and is largely self-taught, like a lot of musicians and composers are. Um, oh my gosh, I, I, I still, I need, okay, Ennio Morricone, is that, is, did I say it right? Yes, that, okay, the perfect. Spaghetti Western composer, I've like, sh- I just tried to learn how to say his name for years, I, you did fine, okay, you did thank fine. you, okay, so his score for Sergio Leone's, uh, Western or Spaghetti Western masterpiece, Once Upon a Time in the West, is what inspired Zimmer to pursue a career as a film composer. So Zimmer worked with various new wave bands in the late 70s and early 80s. He is actually briefly featured in the music video for the Buggles uh, video Killed the Radio Star. You can see he's I guess he appears in black playing a keyboard. So <laughs> I just right. learned that. I had no idea. So the very first moments of MTV, Hans Zimmer <laughs> yes, was involved. Hans Zimmer in that, was involved. Right? Yep. yep. Uh-huh. So that's pretty fun to learn. Uh, so, fitting. Yeah. In the early and mid-1980s, Zimmer collaborated with accomplished film composer Stanley Myers to create scores for films like My Beautiful Laundrette from 1985. Uh, his first solo score was for a film called Terminal Exposure that was released in 1987. He produced the score for the 1987 Best Picture winner, The Last Emperor. And this score was composed by a name I'm going to butcher, Ryuchi Sakamoto, uh, one of uh, Bruce's favorites, David Byrne, and Kong Su. 
Uh, his score for the 1988 anti-apartheid drama A World Apart led to his big break as a film composer as it led Zimmer to being hired by Barry Levinson to compose the score for the 1988 Best Picture winner, Rain Man. So that's a pretty impressive... It, and if you didn't, as if you didn't already think that was an impressive track record there, um, Zimmer also composed the score for the 1989 Best Picture winner of Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> and, he re- yeah, and he received his first Best Original Score Oscar nomination for the Rain Man score. So in 1994, he composed one of his most critically and commercially successful scores, which is for one of my all-time favorite films, The Lion King. (laughs) And uh, yeah, my sister and I are 90s babies, so Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast were Disney Renaissance era lovers for sure. And uh, he produced Circle of Life, uh, which, of course, was written by Elton John and Tim Bryce. And I will share a really embarrassing story. I had a little too much to drink one night a few weeks ago. And I was blasting the Lion King soundtrack. So it was like Circle of Life was on full blast in my house. I'm like, I'm really glad like nobody's here because this is like super, super embarrassing. <laughs> and of course, I had to sing it and I can't sing. So that's that's really charming of me. I know. <laughs> we, we, all sing, we all can sing when we're alone. Yeah, you know? right. Come on now. At least oh, nobody had to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Shower especially. Yeah. Right? It, it was yeah, cateralling for sure. Not 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 pretty. But yeah, at least I was alone. <laughs> So he won his first Oscar for Best Original Score for The Lion King. Uh, He also earned a Golden Globe and two Grammys for this score. So Zimmer has been nominated uh, for an Academy Award for Best Original Score 10 times, and he's won twice for The Lion King in 95 and for Dune Part 1 just recently in 2022. He has been nominated for a Golden Globe 12 times and has won three times uh, for The Lion King in 1995, Gladiator in 2001, that's a great score, and also for Dune Part 1. Uh, some of Zimmer's most well-known and respected scores include the ones for the film's Backdraft from 1991, Thelma and Louise from 1991 as well, two films I watched. Oh, and another film I watched a bunch as a kid, A League of Their Own from 1992. Um, also, a film I didn't watch as a kid, but one I love, uh, True Romance from 1993. Uh, he also composed the scores for As Good As It Gets from 1997, The Thin Red Line from 1998, and Gladiator, as I mentioned before. He has composed the scores for the Christopher Nolan films Inception from 2010, which I'm going to talk about in detail in a few, uh, The Dark Knight Rises from 2012, Interstellar from 2014, and Dunkirk from 2017. So yeah, definitely a frequent collaborator of Christopher Nolan. So um, just a, 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 I absolutely uh, just love the, uh, the True Romance score. That was really uh, my introduction to Hans Zimmer. That's when I really started to pay attention. I mean, of course, we've heard all these scores, but we might not know who composed them, <laughs> you know, right? So, but mm-hmm. uh, I first recognized Hans Zimmer's name when I saw his, his name um, on the credits for True Romance as the composer for the score. And if you've seen that movie, which I love that movie, it's a really unique, uh, yeah, sometimes very violent, but a very unique and strangely enough, a very unique and charming romance film. Like I actually really love Christian Slater and uh, British Arquette. They're great together, have great chemistry. Um, and it's this really like simple kind of quirky sounding score that you wouldn't think would work in a movie like this, but it does. Like it's a really, really good score. So the other score I want to talk specifically about is as a score for Inception. So this is, of course, a 2010 sci-fi film directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Leonardo DiCaprio as this extractor who can, of course, invade people's dreams and steal their secrets without their knowledge. He's offered a chance at redemption, um, which will allow him to basically clear his criminal record so he can return to his children if he can implant it rather than extract an idea from somebody's subconscious. 
So uh, DiCaprio plays um, Dom Cobb, and he's, of course, um, mourning his wife's death, and he really wants to get back to his children, as I said before. I like this quote from Zimmer from the LA Times. Uh, he t when he was speaking about the inception of score, he said, what I was writing was nostalgic and s or nostalgia and sadness. This character, Dom Cobb, DiCaprio's character, carries a sadness all the time that he cannot express. I really like that quote. I think it really uh, perfectly sums up the feeling that you get from listening to the score, you know, what it evokes. Mm. Uh, so specifically, mm -hmm. I want to talk about the song Time. So this song plays during the much debated ending of the film when Dom is reunited with his children. Of course, it ends on that spinning top and we don't know if it falls. So of course, if, if he's um, still dreaming, you know, then the, um, you know, the top would keep spinning. And if, if it, you know, if he's in reality, it would fall over, but we don't know for sure. Because <laughs> mm. yeah, that's not, um, so that's, yeah, that's not exactly revealed for sure. Right. Um, so for me, uh, I think this song, I really, I remember when I first saw this uh, film and I heard this song and I, I just loved it outside of the film, even just like independence of the film. I'm like, this is just so beautiful. And I remember I was rewatching the mom, the movie with my mom at uh, home because I had seen it in the theater. And when you see this movie in the theater, oh my gosh, the score just like you can you can feel it in the bathroom. Like I went to the bathroom and you could feel the vibrations of the score, especially the main theme, the dawn, dawn theme that everybody's like, I think South Park's made fun of it. A lot of people made fun of it. But uh, specifically the song Time, when I watched this film with my mom, like she started crying when she heard the song and she's like, I don't even really know why. I think it just really evokes a lot of emotion. Um, mm -hmm. And to me, this song, I, well, it, I didn't actually come up with this idea. I want to credit some person on YouTube. I'm sorry. I tried to find your comment and I couldn't <laughs> probably could have looked a little harder, but they had said something about how the song represents life, you know, time, life from birth to death. It starts out slow. It sounds like somebody kind of you know, learning to walk, and then it swells into a crescendo in the middle of the song, like somebody's at the height of their life. And the very end of the song, to me, kind of reminds me of somebody taking their last breaths. So, or you know, so that's that's what I get from this song. But the beautiful thing about music is everybody hears something different. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to hearing what you two think about the song. So, um, and yeah, we actually are doing something a little different this month, and we're actually going to play the, the songs we're talking about. So we're going to listen to time. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let's play the song and then yeah. we will come back and we'll have a quick discussion. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm going to mute us out so everyone can hear the song and we'll be back uh, on the other side of that. So let me uh, get us ready. And here is the song.
What are your all right, guys? What are your thoughts? What a fantastic song, Bruce. What are your thoughts on yeah. "Time" by Hans, Hans Zimmer? I I think it's a very basic theme. I, I do tend to agree with Michelle. It does start off almost like the beginning of breathing, and then like like you know, and then it crescendos, just like I think you know, organically speaking, our lives sort of do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of subsides into the, you know, I, I, I do agree with that, but I think it starts, it, it's basic enough. So, Michelle, when you were talking about your mom saying, even if you take it out of context, independently, if you knew nothing about the actual film that, you know, mm-hmm. Inception that it's from, and you take it totally out of context, it, it, it could be played on a radio station or something, you know, in a totally different scenario. Yeah. And I was moved, and I'm not that familiar with that song. So that's my take. It well, moved me, and I'm not, you know, acclimated to it. So well, there you I'm, go. That's my take. <laughs> and no, I'm glad to hear that, too, because it really, I mean, it's like I, I was sitting here trying not to cry. It just does something to me. Uh, like, it does. And, and there's uh, a video on YouTube where people are just listening to it, and they just start crying. Sleeping, I mean, it, yeah. it just it yeah. does something. Yeah. And, and sure. I like what that you... That is the power sure. of music. And, oh, yeah. yeah, and even, I mean, I listen, and I'm not even, I like Inception, but I listen to this soundtrack way more than I watch the actual movie. I listen to the song way oh, more, yeah. even though I really do like the film. So, yeah, no, I really like what you said, Bruce. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. Sure, thank yeah, you for sharing. So that was, a, well, so, Michelle, when you made that mm-hmm. pick, and mm-hmm. I prepared it, recorded it, that listening to that was the first time I had heard it yeah. since the movie was released in 2010, mm-hmm. and it is beautiful. It, it really is mm-hmm. um an amazing song by Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know what else to say. I, I, it definitely, you know, has that rise, the crescendo, although, mm-hmm. you know, to, it, it's a wonderful film, uh, a wonderful song, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that you chose it and shared it with oh, us. It's yeah. really very it's, cool. I'm so. glad that you enjoyed it because oh. I really do love the song. <laughs> uh, very cool. All right, so let's, we'll move on to our next uh, um, composer. And I am I am proud to say that I'm a huge fan of this person, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman, uh, who is was the lead singer for Oingo Boingo. We'll yep. get to that. But he was born May 29, 1953 in Los Angeles, California. He married Bridget Fonda in 2003. They have three children together. She is retired from acting, actually. Yep. She yeah. uh, you know, yep. raised, raised their children. Uh, he went to Europe after high school, did not attend college, but did perform at CalArts for two years, but not as a student. He was, as I mentioned, the lead singer and founding member of American New Wave band Oingo mm-hmm. Boingo from 1979 to 1985. Oingo Boingo's biggest big, success was their 1985 album, Dead Man's Party. Mm-hmm. The band appeared in the movie Back to School, uh, you know, starring Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield, Robert Downey Jr. Yep. Um, and, uh, oh, I can't remember his name. The guy, the Johnny from... Um, from uh, I can't hold the Johnny from Karate Kid, the villain, uh, William Zabka. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. William Zabka played the villain in uh, Back to School as well. Not really the villain, but just kind of the dirtbag guy. And the guy from Christine was uh, the son, right? That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, the song Weird Science from the same album peaked at number 45 in the Billboard mm-hmm. Top 100. It was a theme song for the movie of the same name, 1985, from John yes, Hughes. Yep. John oh, Hughes. Yep, yeah, John Hughes. Mm-hmm. Weird like Kelly LeBrock, who could forget that. Yeah, Kelly LeBrock. That's hard to forget that. 
You know, we, you and I, all three of us, have talked about you know the joys of being usher in a movie theater. Yeah. Well, you become very, very uh, uh, well versed in closing credit music because you're cleaning up, you know, the yeah. popcorn yeah. and the, you know, weird science we'd go nuts for because it was the closing credits. Uh, you know, with the with the excerpt, yep. it's alive, it's alive. It's alive and we would yeah. just go nuts because the, the the song itself by Owen Gore, uh, Owen Gore, you know what I'm trying to say, was like motivating when you're like sweeping up a theater. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, that, fun song. That, that's a great song, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so Elf, Elfman has frequently worked with director Sam Raimi. Raimi worked with him on five films, Gus Van Zant on five mm. films, and Tim Burton on 19 films. Oh, he also yeah. worked with director Peter Berg, Zack Snyder, Barry Sonnefeld, David O. Russell, Gil- Gil- Guillermo de Toro. I'm murmuring. It was close it. enough, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ang Lee, enough, Sean yeah. Levy, Robert Rodriguez, <laughs> Brett Ratner, Taylor Hackford, Michael Apted, Peter Jackson, Richard Donner, Martin Brest, Brian De Palma, Albert and Albert Hughes, Joss Whedon, Joe Johnston, Howard Dooch, Carl Reiner, and John Turtlebob. Um, so, I mean, he's worked with, you know, a slew of, of Hollywood directors mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, across the gamut, right? Mm-hmm. He composed the theme music for the TV series The Simpsons that, uh, yep. that has run from 1982 to 1989. Sorry. Still running, actually. Have you ever heard that before? No, no. <laughs> 739 <laughs> episodes of that show. Yeah, it's burned so into my brain for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's been uh, almost 35 years now. It's yeah, been, yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy how long it's been on. <laughs> yeah. uh, he was the singing voice of Jack Skeleton yes. in the movie Nightmare Before Christmas, 1993. Uh, Burton and Paul Rubens, who were fans of Oingo Boingo, invited Elfin to score the music for Burton's first film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which we'll talk about yes. in a little bit, in 1985. He scored uh, music for Men in Black, Goodwill Hunting, or his scores, I'm sorry, for movies, uh, Men in Black, Goodwill Hunting, Milk, and Big Fish were all, all received Academy mm-hmm. Award nominations, but he has not won an Academy Award. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1989, Elfman's influential Grammy Award score for Burton's Batman uh, marked uh, a major stylistic shift to dark, densely orchestrated music in the, in the romantic idiom. This continued in the scores for Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy, Sam Raimi's Dark Man, and Clyde Barker's Nightbreed, all released in 1990. So Great yeah, there, there's a sh- there's a shift. Mm-hmm. So Elfin, and that's why I wanted to play. We're not going to talk about. We're not going to. Uh, we're not highlighting my song of choice. Is not the song I'm going to play now. But this is the type of music Elfin started with in his career with Pee Wee's Big Adventure, with Beetlejuice, very very upbeat, uplifting music. And here he is from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I didn't want to do that too long, but I wanted to give you oh, contrast. Well, you stop? I was dancing. Yeah, we were, we were uh, digging uh, it. <laughs> I was bopping. Yeah, but it is, it is a fantastic uh, beat, and really, it's one of the things that makes the first movie, uh, his first film, so it stand out. That that first film from oh, Burton. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But so he, there was a tonal shift, and that shift happened with Batman. 
And my song of choice from Burton is the theme for Batman. And I have, you know, 1989 was my summer of movies. I had just moved to Chicago Mm -hmm. and uh, I'd been there maybe four or five months. I actually moved there in January of of 1989. I live with my friend Chris in Evanston. And we went to see, or I went to see Batman twice on the first day. I went to... uh, um, both theaters are gone now. The I'm trying to remember the Eden's Theater, which was do up you, on... Uh, uh, yes, Bruce. Do you remember the date of the first day? I do not remember the first release date. I got TV coverage because it was it debuted on my birthday. <laughs> I'm Would, named after Batman. Give us the date, Bruce. June 23rd. June 23rd. 1989. Ju- uh, uh, debuted. Um, the uh, teaser posters had my birthday on them. There month. we go. And your name, too. Yeah. No. Uh, anyway, uh, so, yeah, I saw that film at the Edens Theater. At the and, Edens, yeah. At, uh, like, the 11 o'clock show, and then at the Lincoln Village Theater later that day with Kelly, actually, and uh, my good friend Doug and his wife. Uh, so, memory, you know, my memories flash back to this. When it first came on the screen and how that kind of, that sound kind of, created the atmosphere for the movie you know very very mm-hmm. dark and foreboding and i mean i think elfman just nails this in my opinion and i own this soundtrack i used to listen to it a lot uh so i want to play real quick for you here's batman from danny elfman
yeah. meme. <laughs> well, and, and the awesome. thing that really makes that too is that you don't understand when that music starts that it's it, the camera is panning the Batman insignia mm. and running through the yeah. insignia. And right. then, you, then and at the end, it, it, it pulls out, and you see yeah, the Batman yeah. insignia. The logo, yeah. Yeah, the logo. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just an amazing piece of cinema to me. Yeah. Elfman well, absolutely I, captures it, in my opinion. Bruce, go ahead. I, I, yeah, I, you know, with, with all of the hype leading up to 1989s, um, there was all kinds of controversy about the casting of Michael Keaton and... You know, everybody knew about Nicholson and, and, and so on and so forth. So there was a lot of controversies that kind of live up to the Frank Miller dystopian Dark Knight. But here's what I will say about Danny Elfman. I, the only acclamation I knew to him at that time was, like, like you mentioned, Weird Science and he was Big Adventure. But Prince got so much hype about he did. And if you watch that original film, it's really diminished. Like... Princess Song, the future occurs in the opening sequence. Mm. Um, and then, but I mean, nobody really had ever heard of Danny Elfman. And it's like, like you pointed out, Jay, it's like, he really, that's a great score. But because Prince did a couple of songs, I think he was like displaced credit, I guess. It's, I, can't, I, mean, I can see what you're saying. I don't like Prince. I love Prince too, but I think the score song is way better. <laughs> I love it's I love way Prince better. though. <laughs> right. I guess that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like. Well, no, he did bad dance. Yeah. Come on, Prince did bad dance. There's a whole video for that. Yeah. And he did he did the whole pop that whole disc. Yeah. I guess was very hyped. Yeah. I mean, I had it, but I also had like you did, Jay. I had the Danny Elfman yeah. sound, the motion picture soundtrack. Yeah. Um. I just I, I was more of a Batman Returns girl just because I had Catwoman in it. And I was oh. obsessed with Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Still my favorite Catwoman. Yeah. I don't know if that's a controversial opinion. But no, I just, right. I love the score. And it just, I still love the first film, though. I don't have the same kind of memories, obviously. <laughs> you both do. I was yeah. only four when that movie came out. But, um, I mean, I totally agree. There's something about that music and, and the visuals of Gotham City. It just gives you chills. It's just so yeah. awesome. And speaking of chills. I'm sorry, this is really bad. I apologize for this uh, pun, but yeah, the uh, the ice dance. Uh, yeah. Speaking of chills, uh, the ice dance, oh, yeah. uh, pretty cheesy transition there. But yeah, uh, I love the ice dance from uh, Edward Scissorhands. That is my favorite piece no, of Danny yeah. Elfman music. And it's just so beautiful. The it's reason like, I love Danny Elfman, or this period of Danny Elfman, I didn't, yeah, you make a good point. He There's a bit of a contrast there from yeah. like the Pee Wee's to make adventure days to, yeah, yep. you know, to Batman and uh, Edward Scissorhands. But, um, yeah, I, abs- I absolutely love the dark Elfman, I guess I'd say, because it's like both, this, it's the same reason I love Angelo Baldamente. I think I finally learned how to say his name right, the guy who, was, who scored a lot of David Lynch's work, because they're both, mm-hmm. both of their work, or the, or the scores are, they're eerily beautiful. Like, they're yeah. very creepy, you know, like the Ice Dance is kind of a creepy tune, but it's also so beautiful. Right. And that's why it just, again, gives me chills. I know that's cheesy, but yeah, I just, I love, I love his work. I love, I love his Tim Burton scores, especially. So great choice. So just real, <laughs> you know, real quick, I, you know, I think it, obviously you couldn't do the peewee theme music in Batman. It wouldn't oh, work. No, no, okay. no, yeah. So no, the tonal shift the no. tonal yeah. shift that Elfman makes yeah. is the tonal shift that Burton makes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, because yeah. so Burton's movie point. went from Beetlejuice and you know and Pee Wee's Big Adventure 
to Batman and then Edward Scissorhands and these are darker movies oh, yeah. much darker yeah. films yeah. much yeah. darker you know than for sure of course for example and, and, oh, yeah. no and, and that's why these two gentlemen work so well together absolutely I mean, Burton was or you know Elpin was able to capture what Burton wanted you know and, and it captured it magnificently in my opinion it's absolutely. just wonderful so Bruce yeah. Bruce we want to make sure we have time we need to talk we need to jump right into your choice you go with it yeah, real quickly, uh, I got a real quick sound bite. Uh, if you want to go back, sure. 2018. Yeah, here we go. You tell it. You lead us in. Batman's uh, a segment we do once a month. I got my very good friend uh, Bruce Stavarn, and we talked about something in the cinema that we want to talk about. And uh, this week, well, we're going to talk about the Master of Horror, the Prince of Darkness, as they refer to him. And we're going to talk about John Carpenter. Bruce, you there? I am. How are you, Jay? I'm good. I'm good. Well, there's only one way to lead in this segment. This I knew you were going to say that. Of course I knew that. I knew you were going to say that. So anyway, that was back in 2018. So, yeah. So young then. We were so young. <laughs> nice <just>. throwback. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to say we were just kids back then. Yeah, right. Yeah, not exactly. Yeah, right. Um, I will indeed be discussing the illustrious, not only briefly directorial, but more importantly, since we're talking about scores, uh, John Carpenter. Um, again, the challenge, like for both, for all three of us, is to say something about this gentleman that hasn't already been illustriously said. But um, a little bit of bio information, by the way. Thank you, Michelle, uh, regarding your early life and directing directing career of John Carpenter. He was born on January 16, 1948, in Carthage, uh, Carthage, New York. He also grew up in. Bowling Green, Kentucky, I just wanted to throw that in there because uh, it was culturally a little bit of an adjustment for him. Um, he's fond of saying that he, he and his family were kind of Yankees, but real quickly, I was just watching the bio, he grew up in a home without a television. Uh, I think it's pretty amazing considering the visual and just the style, but his love of Westerns, especially those directed by Howard Hawks and John Ford, and Bihar movies inspired him to create short films as an adolescent. And um, while attending the University of Southern California, he co-wrote, edited, and composed um, the score for the resurrection of, uh, actually, Bronco Billy or Billy Bronco, depending on who you ask, from 1970. Oh, and that one, no, it's okay. I noticed that when I was studying the, um, the Academy um. Award for best light action short film. No, it's no, no big deal. And then um, also uh, while working, uh, while at USC, I should say, Carpenter began working on what would become his feature film uh, directorial de uh, debut, Dark Star. That's a lot of fun if you guys have ever seen that. Jay, Jerry, Michelle, have you ever seen Dark Star from no. 1974? I have, yes. It's been a while, but yes, a good movie. <laughs> I definitely want to see it. <laughs> he says it's painful to watch, but he says it's also a lot of fun. Um, his section, uh, second feature film, uh, Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976, which was remade, by the way, pays homage to Howard Hawks by reinterpreting Rio Bravo and setting it in South Central Los Angeles. Um, I have some notes about that as well. In 1978, he directed his third feature, which became one of the most highly regarded and influential horror films of all time, Halloween. Also, for a long time, it was the most financially successful uh, independent film. Uh, Carpenter developed his status as a master of horror in the 1980s with films such as The Fog from 80, The, uh, the Thing, 1982, Christine, 1983, 
And Prince of Darkness, overlooked film, but I really liked it from 1987. He um, he also directed popular and acclaimed science fiction, action, and fantasy films in the 80s, including Escape, Escape from New York, 1981, mm-hmm. Starman, 1984. Great change of pace for Carpenter. I love Starman. Starman. <laughs> I do, too. And it's like... Amazing change of pace in a wonderful <laughs> film. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China, Love which is kind of fun from yeah. 1986. Yeah, and they live uh, from 1988. Yep. But um, other feature films uh, Carpenter directed, including included uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man from 1992, In the Mouth of Madness 1994, Village of the Dan 1995, Escape from L.A depending on who you ask, <laughs> sort of a cult status, 1996, <laughs> The Empires, 1998, and Ghosts of Mars, 2001. His most recent uh, directorial effort is the 2010 Supernatural um, Horror Film Award. I wanted to just sort of supplant um, some some interesting observations. Jay, when we were talking on that segment back in, in 2018, you rightfully pointed out, and I was just doing some research um, Carpenter refers to his music as sort of carpeting or furnishing uh, with regards to his films. The other observation I really found resonant is that he has been known to say music can make you see things better in film, uh, which I think oh, is wow. interesting. It's kind of like counterintuitive the way he places that, but it makes total sense if you yeah. ever watch his films. Yeah, for sure. Um, Interesting, the um, uh, Assault on Precinct 13 is actually a very, you know, it was, it was his first film prior to Halloween, but he said the inspiration was a combination of Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song, so I went back and played that, and the second influence is, um, I think his name is, his, uh, I can't think of the composer for Dirty Harry, like the Clint Eastwood, uh, their Dirty Harry score, so mm-hmm. it's a combination of Immigrant Song and the Dirty Harry score. Um, and I also wanted to point out The Fog, which I know Michelle and I talked about our mm-hmm. fondness for that film, is, you know, we were talking a moment ago with Danny Elf- Elfman having kind of the, the change of pace from the nuance of lighthearted to a more uh, mysterious and, and, and darker tone. The Fog, um, whereas Carpenter was much more in your face with, with um, scores from like Halloween or Assault on Three. Precinct 13, the fog was more subdued and more atmospheric, and I think that was more congruous with the tone of it being kind of about like gothic uh, horror films as opposed to clubbing you over the head with with terrifying you. But um, as far as yeah, I don't talk about you guys, but the um, the overview of of his composing career, he has composed or co-composed his scores. To most of his films, uh, he is credited as the sole composer uh, for the scores to Halloween and the Fog. He frequently collaborated with composer Alan Horwath. Um, scores uh, composed together include Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China, and They Live. Uh, they also created uh, scores for Halloween 2 from 1981 and even Halloween um, 
three seasons of the witch, which I think out of the entire franchise is the redheaded stepchild, the overlooked or underlooked or underappreciated. Yeah, I like it, but, but I course. understand why a lot of people don't. <laughs> right, you know, it's like, where's that guy? Uh, yeah. What's his name again? No, um, but there is a, a passage when I was doing my research, it's really good from the Halloween 3 soundtrack, and the name of the passage is um, Chariots of Pumpkins. And it's beautiful. It, 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 it doesn't really bear much of a resemblance to his other work. But I also wanted to point out, um, when he was at USC, he met a gentleman by the name of Nick Castle. Mm-hmm. And together they formed a band called the Coupe de Ville, which was sort of their oingo blingo, if you're going to put that in the model of Danny <laughs> Elfman. But Nick Castle, uh, really, him and John Carpenter um, was a large reason why in 1978 my parents had to um, look into a child play. Psychologist for me, just to share with you uh, about Halloween. And um, Nick Castle played this character no one's ever heard of, Michael something. Anyway, mm-hmm. he was the original Michael Myers. Wow. Um, and he was in the Coupe de Ville with John Carpenter, and incidentally, Nick Castle went on to direct a movie called The Boy Who Could Fly, and I think he directed The Last Starfighter. So there you go, guys. Um, let me look in. And his, um, I, yeah, I also wanted to mention that, let's see, I mentioned The Season of the Witch, which Carpenter produced, yep. but did not direct. Um, and then Carpenter and his son, Cody, are co-composers of the scores from the three most recent films in the Halloween franchise. Uh, David Gordon Green's Halloween from 2018, Halloween Kills 2021, and Halloween Ends from 2022 last year. Uh, I, you know, the best known scores are The Fog, Escape from New York, and I just wondered, I know we're going to launch into the, the Halloween theme, and like I say, guys, the challenge for me is to talk about things that are lesser known. I have to tell you, I think that, you know, everybody has heard, I hate this word, iconic, the opening credits to Halloween. Mm-hmm. That entire score, and I know, Michelle, you and I have talked about something as simple as Lori Strode yes. crossing the street. Okay, it's, it's not going to be a piece of music that's going to be universally known but mm-hmm. i guess my point is that entire score is bright and yes. with the stings and like the the passage where michael myers is finally you get to see him pursuing Lori strode down the stairs and it's just like that done done on you know and it's like that whole score is frightening not it yes. is to the point where guys my sophomore year in college i went to camelot music I bought it and I put it in my tape deck and I had to immediately take it out. <laughs> I was yeah. 20 years old because I couldn't listen to it. <laughs> so yeah. with that, guys, do you want to launch into uh, a beer? I want to hear your guys' Super, comments. super quick. Uh, I just want to say, like, I finally learned what that song. I used to just call it the Dun 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 theme. That's yeah. the one that plays <laughs> while Lori is walking down the street. It's called Lori's theme. Yes. And I just really quickly want to say that, yeah, John Carpenter is the master of building atmosphere. That's why his films are so scary. That's why I love Halloween and the fog is because of the atmosphere he builds. It's not, it's not so much about seeing people get killed. It's that creepy atmosphere, and his music contributes to that for sure. I agree. That's 
exactly right. It is building atmosphere and a fear of dread uh, as opposed to just coming out and showing it. But, Jay, what do you I completely agree, but let's jump right into it, and then we'll come back and talk about it real quick. Here we go. Well, that's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it sends me flashing back to the early 1980s watching uh, this on HBO, I think, the first time. And I, I, I will say that I agree 100% with Michelle here that mm. Carpenter is a master at setting the atmosphere. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. the, you know, you take this music out of the movie and you just play the movie without the music. It doesn't work. Yeah. The music mm. makes it yeah. so creepy. I mean, it's just completely yep. creepy. And there's yeah. so many wonderful things about this movie. To me, this movie was like the classic slasher film. Oh, yeah, yeah. It set the standard so for everything, and nothing could beat it, in my opinion. It just, it's so it good. It scares the pants off uh, yeah. of It still yeah. scares me. I have a hard time watching it in the dark. I watch it every Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> 
Absolutely. I never got conditioned or inoculated or whatever the expression. Right, right. No, no, I Bruce, I mean it's it's a great pick. Carpenter is wonderful. Yes. Uh, he was he was the king of horror, the prince of darkness, you know, for years. You and, know, one uh, thing yeah. I didn't observe about that piece yet, and I was just researching it, is that yeah, Carpenter has no shame in admitting what his inspiration was. Well, in the case of the open we just uh, just you know, the opening credits, the Halloween one of which was tubular bells, the theme from the Exorcist, Exorcist yeah. from mm-hmm. Mike, Mike Oldfield, um, which was all the rage in 1974. I remember having that album too. And then the other one was Suspiria. There's a piece of music from which is a trippy horror film, but it's like no wonder that those two pieces yeah. 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 And I just want to give a real quick, quick shout out to my mom who loves the fog and introduced it to me. And I think yeah. it's super underrated. So hi, mom. We're talking about when you're Adrian Barbeau was yeah. in that movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that's great. all I got to say. <laughs> great, great film. So yeah. uh, guys, looking forward to next month. We had talked about um, wanting to highlight the career of uh, one of the masters in Hollywood, Robert Duvall, mm-hmm. who we mentioned earlier, who just appeared in the movie he's he started his career in in uh to kill a mockingbird yes. you know, playing, playing boo radley Amazing. and 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 he was just yep. in the movie at the age of 92 he was just in the movie with um with christian bale the the uh, movie yep. uh the, the the pale blue eye so uh we will jump next to robert duvall uh bruce anything else for us today nope robert duvall's in my favorite film of all time all right. There, there we <laughs> go. Looking forward to it, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Thank, right. Hey, Bruce, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. And take care, guys. Take care. And Michelle, thank you so much. Of course. Take care. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And this is Jay Schultz here, WHIW 101.3 FM. And I want to thank Michelle and Bruce today for joining us both for Cinema Talk.